three ways that fiber is classified. We have soluble versus insoluble. We have fermentable versus non-fermentable. And then we have viscous versus non-viscous. When we look at insoluble versus soluble, the insoluble fiber, if it's insoluble, it kind of stays in that classification. If it's soluble, then it will be further classified based on viscosity. So soluble fiber can be really viscous or not so viscous. And viscous means the texture that this fiber will produce when it's mixed with liquid. So a more viscous fiber will produce a more gel-like structure when it's mixed with liquid. So let's say, for example, you take something like psyllium husk, the very viscous fiber. So if you take psyllium husk and you mix that with water, it's going to produce a gel-like structure. And in our intestines, that gel-like structure is what binds to bile. That gel-like structure is what slows the absorption of carbohydrates and also helps with satiety. Welcome to the Nutrition Science Podcast, where we help you cut through the noise and make informed, science-based decisions about nutrition and your health. How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Nutrition Science Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Adrian Chavez, and in this episode, we are going to be discussing fiber. This is going to be a masterclass on fiber today. So first, we're going to talk about what fiber is, the health benefits, then we're going to break down a little bit of the nuance when it comes to fiber, the different types of fiber, the different effects of those different types of fiber, and the certain scenarios where people may need to be paying attention to the types of fiber that they're eating to manage a disease or a condition. So got a lot of good information in this episode. Before we get started, I want to announce, before we get started, I want to announce that Legion Athletics is holding a buy one, get one, half off sale for all of their pre-workout and post-workout recovery drinks. So Legion is the brand that I personally use for my pre-workout supplement. Been using them for a while. I use their protein powder as well. Use their fish oil as well. I've discussed this on previous podcasts. They are currently having a buy one, get one, half off sale on their pre-workout supplement and their post-workout supplement. The post-workout supplement is called Recharge. The primary ingredient in the post-workout supplement is creatine. And the pre-workout supplement has citrulline, which helps dilate the blood vessels, beta-alanine, which helps support muscle contractions, caffeine, which helps to improve performance, and other ingredients as well. Really great products, great formulation. There's a reason that I've been using them for a while. So if you want to check that out, I'll post a link in the show notes, or you can go to legionathletics.com and check out that offer. If you use the code Chavez at checkout, you'll get 20% off your first order. And if you continue to use that code, when you purchase through Legion, you'll get double rewards points, which add up to free stuff. So if you've been thinking about trying out a pre-workout supplement, I highly recommend checking out this offer. All right, let's go ahead and get into the content. So first, what is fiber? Fiber is uh, indigestible. So it's mostly carbohydrates, but not everything that's classified as fiber is a carbohydrate, but it's mostly carbohydrates that we cannot digest. So we don't have the enzymes to digest these carbohydrates. And because we can't digest them, they have several effects in our GI tract that can have positive health effects both in our digestive system and throughout the rest of our body. So the health benefits of fiber are really well documented. For example, a 2018 meta-analysis, this was an umbrella review of meta-analysis. So this is a bunch of studies just piled together looking at all the studies that have examined the relationship between fiber and health outcomes. And in this study, they found pretty conclusively that fiber was associated with lower risk of death from any cause, lower risk of death from heart disease, lower risk of death from cancer, 
lower risk of getting several types of cancer, lower risk of type 2 diabetes, lower risk of stroke, lower risk of inflammatory bowel disease, and more. Uh, fiber is really important for our health. People who eat more fiber have better health outcomes, period. This is really well documented. And there's a few reasons why this is the case, uh, because it doesn't really make sense if you hear what fiber is, we don't digest it. So how is this having health benefits? So there's a few reasons why it's having systemic health benefits in this way. So we don't digest fiber, so it has several effects in our gastrointestinal tract. One of those effects is it increases the bulk of the stool and helps to keep us regular. So when you eat more fiber, your stool has more bulk, it helps to keep things moving through your GI tract. That's the first reason. Number two, binds to bile acids and other compounds that need to be eliminated from our GI tract and helps to eliminate them. So bile acids specifically, the reason that I mentioned this is because one of the well-documented benefits of fiber is reducing cholesterol levels. And bile acids are made out of cholesterol. So bile is what's necessary for digesting fats. Our liver takes cholesterol and uses that cholesterol to make bile. And then it dumps that bile into our small intestine. And that bile helps to digest fats. And then it gets reabsorbed unless you ate fiber in that meal. And if you ate fiber in that meal, specifically, I'll talk about this in a second, but specifically certain types of fiber, that fiber is going to bind to some of that bile and help to eliminate it. And then your liver is going to have to take cholesterol out of your bloodstream to make more bile. So that has a positive effect on your circulating cholesterol levels. Number three, it slows the absorption of sugar into your bloodstream. So when we eat certain types of fiber, it slows our digestion, slows the absorption of sugar. So say, for example, you ate a certain type of fiber that has this effect and you had a high amount of carbohydrates that are easily digested in that meal, it will slow your blood sugar response. So we've talked about glucose spikes before. Fiber is one of those things that can reduce glucose spikes, quote unquote. Now, I've talked about reducing blood sugar spikes, and clearly, if you've listened to this podcast before, you know that I am not one who thinks that you have to reduce every blood sugar increase after meals. However, this effect of fiber also increases satiety or fullness because it's slowing digestion. So it's allowing the food to stay in your stomach and small intestine a little bit longer, causing you to feel full a little bit longer as well. And then the last thing that fiber does is it feeds the microbes that reside in our guts. We have 40 trillion, 50 trillion, we don't even really know exactly. We have a lot of bacteria or microbes, bacteria, viruses, yeast, uh, protozoa um, that live in our digestive tract. It's a whole community of different microbes in there. Those microbes require fuel in order to support their life. And fermentable carbohydrates or fermentable mostly fibers, but there's carbohydrates that aren't fibers that are fermentable, um, are one of the primary fuel sources for these microbes in our gut. So these microbes, some of them can use uh, protein and amino acids. Some of them can use fatty acids. Some of them uh, reduce bile and actually kind of that's their fuel source. But many of the ones that have shown to be beneficial to our health are dependent on us consuming 
fermentable plant matter. So this plant matter that we don't digest, that these microbes in our gut digest instead, and then when they digest them, they will produce um, short-chain fatty acids and other metabolites. And metabolites just means when they digest these things, they produce these other compounds. And these other compounds have been shown to have positive effects on our health in many cases. Now, this can go both ways, and I'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. But in general, consuming more of these fermentable fibers has a positive effect on our health because it's supporting the health of our microbial communities in our gut, and it's also helping them to produce some of these what are called postbiotic compounds. So you've heard of, and I'll probably do an episode on this soon, but you've heard of prebiotics or uh, probiotics. Maybe you haven't heard of prebiotics, but prebiotics are um, fermentable fibers. So prebiotics are the food that feeds probiotics, and probiotics are uh, beneficial microbes that reside in our gut or not even reside in our gut, just beneficial microbes that have shown to have health benefits. And then those probiotics produce postbiotics. And the postbiotics are truly what we're mainly concerned with when it comes to our microbiome because it's not necessarily the microbes that are having the health effects. And in some cases they are, but it's the compounds that are produced from the microbes that interact with our body that produce a lot of the benefits or even harm in some cases that are the result of our microbiome fermenting these prebiotic fermentable fibers. So I hope you stayed with me there. So I will probably do a whole episode on prebiotics, probiotics, and postbiotics because this is a topic uh, that is also important. It's very nuanced just like a lot of the topics that I discuss on this show. Um, and that's why I haven't discussed it yet. I have I have it on a list of topics that I want to discuss, but it, it's one that's going to be really in-depth and probably it's going to require a lot of preparation on my time, and I've been putting it off. It's definitely one that I want to discuss, though, soon. Um, but prebiotics feed their fuel for probiotics, and the probiotics use the prebiotics to produce postbiotics and the postbiotics, which are things like short chain fatty acids and other um, just basically metabolites. These, these microbes ferment the prebiotics and create these byproducts that have usually positive effects on our health, but they can also have negative effects on our health as well, depending on the type of microbes that are residing in our gut. And again, we'll discuss this in a second. So those are the Four main reasons why fiber has health benefits. It's pretty fascinating uh, to think about because this is a food constituent that we consume, that we cannot digest, that doesn't go into our system at all, but it has all these health benefits. Like it, it doesn't get absorbed at all. Fiber is not getting absorbed into our system. It's just sitting in our GI tract and it's having these health benefits from our GI tract which is pretty cool to me. So all of these contribute to some of the health benefits of fiber. The thing is that different types of fiber have different benefits. So you may have heard before of soluble and insoluble fiber. These were the two initial classifications of fiber. So we had soluble versus insoluble. Insoluble means that it doesn't dissolve in water. Insoluble means that it does dissolve in water. So the fiber that dissolves in water tends to potentially create this gel-like structure and the fiber that doesn't dissolve in water, the insoluble fiber, doesn't do that. And the gel-like structure 
is what is responsible for the reduction in cholesterol and for the improvement in blood sugar regulation. And this is why fiber classifications and understanding the different fiber types can be helpful because different fiber types have different properties and benefits and effects. And that's why I wanted to publish this episode. So the insoluble fiber, primary thing that the insoluble fiber does is add bulk to the stool and also assist with uh, constipation. So if someone is constipated using insoluble fiber, in some cases, everyone's response to fiber is different depending on a variety of factors. Again, I'll get into a little bit more detail about this as the show goes on. But insoluble fiber in general can assist with constipation and can add bulk to the stool. That's the main effect of sources of insoluble fiber. Insoluble fiber is found in primarily in the plant cell walls. And if you think about uh, foods that are very rigid and tough, so insoluble fibers make up like the, the, the rigid components of plant cell walls. So if you look at like, say, for example, uh, cauliflower stem or a nuts, you know, they're very tough to chew through versus an orange, for example. Um, so an orange is going to have a softer, like if you're eating the inside of an orange, it's a softer texture than a cauliflower stem. And in general, and this is not like very, you know, cut and dry, this is not a scientific way to go about it, but it, it can generally kind of help you understand like insoluble versus soluble. So again, the, the softer types of plant foods, and I forgot to mention this a second ago, but fiber is in all plant foods. And so these insoluble fibers are making up the harder structural component of plant foods. So for example, kale, like if you're chewing on kale, that's really tough and difficult to get through. And in many cases, that will tell you that that's an indication that this is more soluble fiber versus insoluble fiber. So that is soluble versus insoluble. That's classification number one. There's three ways that fiber is classified. We have soluble versus insoluble. We have fermentable versus non-fermentable. And then we have viscous versus non-viscous. When we look at insoluble versus soluble, the insoluble fiber, if it's insoluble, kind of stays in that classification. If it's soluble, then it will be further classified based on viscosity. So soluble fiber can be really viscous or not so viscous. And viscous means the texture that this fiber will produce when it's mixed with liquid. So a more viscous fiber will produce a more gel-like structure when it's mixed with liquid. So let's say, for example, you take something like psyllium husk. Psyllium husk is a very viscous fiber. So if you take psyllium husk and you mix that with water, it's going to produce a gel-like structure. And in our intestines, that gel-like structure is what binds to bile. That gel-like structure is what slows the absorption of carbohydrates and also helps with satiety. So this is uh, beneficial, this solubility and this viscosity. So if fiber is more viscous, generally tends to have more health benefits versus less viscous. So what we're looking for oftentimes is more viscous type fibers that produce this gel-like structure. 
Celium husk is up there. Beans also provide some of this. Apples, banana, oats, these are all examples of foods that contain more viscous fibers. Something I'll discuss in a second, but I think it's important to mention here that every food has a variety of different fiber types. So let's say, for example, you take oats. Oats isn't just extremely viscous fiber. Oats are, there's a certain level of solubility. There's a certain level of viscosity. And then there's a certain level of fermentability, which is what we're going to be discussing next. And fermentability is the third classification. So we have solubility, viscosity, and fermentability. So solubility, insoluble, doesn't dissolve in water. Soluble, dissolves in water. Viscosity, less viscous, means it doesn't produce much of a gel-like structure when mixed with liquid. More viscous means it does produce more of a gel-like structure when mixed with liquid. That's a good thing. Now we're looking at fermentability. And non-fermentable means that it is not available to the microbes in our gut for fermentation. So they cannot utilize that type of fiber as a fuel source. Fermentable or highly fermentable means that our gut microbiota uh, really enjoy using that particular type of fiber as a fuel source. So non-fermentable carbohydrates, not really going to feed our microbiota. Fermentable carbohydrates are going to feed our microbiota, and they are going to provide a fuel source for the microbes in our gut. So again, quick overview, because I know it's a lot. Soluble fiber versus insoluble fiber. Insoluble fiber doesn't dissolve in water. It adds bulk to the stool and it can help with constipation because it can help speed up intestinal transit. So that's what insoluble fiber does. Soluble fiber helps to bind cholesterol or bind bile, which is made out of cholesterol, helps to slow blood sugar release into the bloodstream. So it helps with a more stable blood sugar response, helps to improve satiety, also can help the soluble fiber, depending on the viscosity, can also help with slowing diarrhea and can help with constipation because it draws a little bit of water to the stool and can soften things up. So soluble fiber, especially more viscous type of soluble fiber, is very beneficial for our health. This is probably the type of fiber that is responsible for the largest amount of health benefits. The last thing we have is fermentable versus non-fermentable. Fiber feeds the microbes. It provides a fuel source for the microbes in our gut. Fermentable fibers are readily fermented or used as a fuel source for the microbes in our gut. Poorly fermented fibers don't do that. And so if you eat a lot of poorly fermented fibers, they're not going to provide a fuel source for those microbes. They won't get broken down in that way. They won't produce the postbiotic metabolites that we discussed a second ago that could potentially have health benefits. So that's the different fiber types and fiber classifications. Now, in most cases, you don't really need to get granular about all of the different fiber types and, and what you're eating and how much of soluble versus insoluble versus viscous and non-viscous. You don't really have to pay attention to that for most people. Um, you're better off just eating a wide variety of fiber-rich foods, plant foods, and incorporating them into your normal diet and not really worrying about solubility or viscosity or any of this. So 
the general recommendations for fiber consumption are 14 grams per thousand calories. That's a minimum fiber consumption, the minimum recommended fiber consumption, 14 grams per 1000 calories. So if you're eating 2000 calories per day, that's 28 grams of fiber. That is about the average. And so 28 grams of fiber, most people aren't eating that. Average Americans eating about 15. It's extremely low. This is extremely easy to get uh, if you're eating whole plant foods. If you're incorporating fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, legumes, whole grains, and lentils and beans, you will most likely be easily meeting your fiber needs. And you don't even have to worry about it beyond that. Like eat fiber, eat lots of whole unprocessed plant foods. When you do choose um, like processed carbohydrates, look for higher fiber sources, and you'll most likely be well beyond that. Like I eat 50 plus grams per day and I don't even have to necessarily think about it because I'm just incorporating beans and whole grains and nuts and seeds and all of these different foods into my diet regularly. And that easily gets me well beyond that 28 grams. Or for me, I eat 3000 calories per day. So for me, it'd be about 42 grams, which would be the recommendation. So I'm above that 42 grams because I am consuming a lot of these whole unprocessed plant foods as a part of my regular diet. And if you're doing the same, you will as well. And worrying about specific fiber types, as I mentioned a second ago, probably isn't necessary. Now, with that being said, worrying about fiber types may be helpful for specific groups of people. The first group of people that I want to discuss are people with high cholesterol or blood sugar control um, issues. So those individuals, say you have you know, high cholesterol, you may want to specifically focus on a more viscous fiber. Um, and in this case, psyllium husk or another supplemental fiber source, something like flaxseed can also be helpful here, are really helpful because uh, psyllium is a completely soluble viscous fiber that isn't fermentable. And I'll talk about why it's important for it not to be fermentable in a second, but psyllium is a great supplemental fiber source. I could do a whole episode on psyllium for these reasons, because it is very viscous, it is non-fermentable, and it is most people can tolerate it well. So incorporating some psyllium husk into your diet, or you can do flax seeds, chia seeds, these aren't as soluble, and these are more fermentable. Um, and so they're typically not going to have as much of a uh, cholesterol-lowering effect. And in some cases, and we'll discuss this in a second because this may not make sense to you right now, but in some cases, the fermentability of some of these other, other fiber types may cause bloating for some people. So I'm a big fan, though, of any type of fiber, you know, incorporating more beans and, and anything you can in terms of soluble fiber. That's going to help in terms of cholesterol, in terms of blood sugar control. And this is a group of people who, if you're in this boat, you have high cholesterol, you're trying to improve your cholesterol, you might want to really be diligent about eating more soluble fiber sources. Same thing with blood sugar control, just be diligent about eating a little bit more soluble fiber sources. The other group of people that I want to discuss, and this is the group of people that um, it's just more important. So this is individuals with digestive issues. So when it comes to digestive issues, as we've discussed, fiber, the main site of action for fiber is in the gut. It doesn't go outside of the gut. And fiber isn't digested. So it stays intact and can have various effects throughout the digestive tract, like we've discussed, that may not be favorable for someone who has underlying digestive issues. 
So for example, people with inflammatory bowel disease or other inflammatory conditions such as diverticulitis, they may not be able to tolerate insoluble fiber sources very well. That extra bulk to the stool may be bothersome. It may trigger symptoms. The insoluble fibers, part of the reason that they can increase uh, the speed at which our stool travels through our intestines is they irritate the lining of our GI tract a little bit. And that's one of the reasons why they can kind of speed things up going through our GI tract, like is that they irritate the lining of the digestive tract a little bit, and that helps to kind of speed things up. That's not something that's okay if you have, you know, healthy GI tract, you have a healthy mucosal layer. So in our digestive tract, it's, it's a tube, and we have this thick layer of mucus that protects our GI tract from damage. And individuals with inflammatory bowel disease or other inflammatory conditions oftentimes have a compromised mucosal layer. And so sometimes these otherwise perfectly healthy foods can, can be triggering for these individuals uh, because of that. So individuals with inflammatory digestive conditions often do better with less insoluble fiber. Now this varies. Every digestive condition is going to be very unique in its presentation and its, in its response to various nutritional changes, particularly fiber. So I'm not saying, hey, if you have inflammatory bowel disease, you have to avoid insoluble fibers. Not the case at all. But in general, many people who have these inflammatory conditions do better with less insoluble fiber. Another specific condition, and there's overlap here as well, is IBS or individuals who have you know chronic bloating or just really, really excessive levels of gas and bloating. Uh, these individuals often do better, and IBS is uh, irritable bowel syndrome. So this is um, basically a lot of the symptoms are very similar to the gas and bloating, except with the change in stool. IBS is 10% of the population, pretty common uh, condition, and it's marked by you know lots of bloating, lots of gas, change in stool, having to run to the bathroom, or being constipated. And so these individuals often do better with less fermentable carbohydrates. And the reason being is that fermentable carbohydrates feed the microbes in our gut. The microbes in our gut produce metabolites. These metabolites, these postbiotics, sometimes actually have a negative effect. And in individuals with IBS, there's a couple of things that could be going on. It could be that they're just not digesting some of the carbohydrates that they should be digesting, well enough, and that's leading to excessive fermentation, which is leading to discomfort due to the gas production, and that's a perpetual cycle. In other cases, there could be an overgrowth of microbes in the wrong spot. So for example, most of the bacteria in our, in our gut is in our large intestine, which is very far away from our mouth and our stomach. And after the, the food goes through our stomach, it gets dumped into the small intestine. The small intestine is where a lot of the food is supposed to be absorbed or where most of it's supposed to be absorbed except for the things that we can't digest and that is supposed to be a place where there's not a lot of microbes um, there can be a situation this is called small intestinal bacteria overgrowth or small intestinal fungal overgrowth where a lot of microbes build up in the small intestine and every time you eat uh, carbohydrates certain types of carbohydrates these fermentable carbohydrates these microbes will ferment these carbohydrates at a very high level uh, rapidly in the small intestine, leading to lots of discomfort and bloating and stomach pains and gas and, and all of that. So 
for individuals with GI issues, like I said, IBS, IBD, but other GI issues as well, fiber becomes much more important and fiber types become much more important. Understanding the types of fiber that you're eating, understanding the types of fiber that may be triggering you is something that can be really, really helpful in helping to manage your condition. So I wanted to mention that because I have a lot of experience working with people with GI issues. And many of these people feel unheard a lot of times because the general recommendations, and it makes sense, like as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, it makes sense to recommend more fiber because there's many reasons why fiber has positive health effects. However, if you're an individual with a digestive issue and you see these general recommendations for people to eat more fiber, you may be frustrated because you know that when you try to do that, it doesn't necessarily work out for you. And I've seen this time and time again where people are just confused. They don't understand why when they're trying to follow healthy dietary patterns and they're trying to eat more of the things that people say are healthy, uh, they just feel worse. And these are some of the explanations here. So I hope this was informative. We'll do a quick overview uh, before we sign off. So quick review. Fiber is a constituent in plant foods that we cannot digest. There are many health benefits to consuming fiber. These are well-documented, well-established. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of papers demonstrating the health benefits of fiber. Fiber is amazing. We should make sure to eat plenty of it. There are three main ways that fiber is classified, and these are dependent on its physical properties. Each type of fiber has specific health benefits that are associated with these types of fiber. This isn't something that we need to get detailed about or pay too much attention to. However, if you are someone who has blood sugar control issues, cholesterol issues, or digestive issues, for the first two, focusing on increasing specifically soluble fiber is going to be helpful. And for individuals with digestive issues, trying to figure out which fiber types maybe triggering for you can be helpful as well. Because for many people, fermentable fibers may be a problem, insoluble fibers may be a problem, and really dialing in as to whether or not those are causing problems for you and learning how to work around that can go a long way for helping to manage your symptoms. So thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Nutrition Science Podcast. I hope this episode was helpful. If you're enjoying the show, it would be amazing if you could leave a review. I've recently been looking at the podcast charts and I'm seeing that this podcast is starting to creep into the top 50 in the United States and Canada, UK and Great Britain. I personally believe that this podcast is more valuable than many of the podcasts that are ahead of me. And I would like to see how far I can get up these rankings uh, because I'm a bit competitive with this. So it would be helpful if you could leave a review or if you know anyone who would enjoy the show, who likes to learn about nutrition and science, share the podcast with them, let them know about it so we can continue to increase the numbers. Because that's really the only way that the show grows is when people share it. Uh, this isn't like social media where the podcast platform pushes this out to people. You really have to come across it by someone else sharing it with you or randomly coming across it in a search. So that would be really helpful as well. Thank you all for tuning in to another episode of the Nutrition Science Podcast. I hope you have a great day and we'll talk soon. Mm -hmm.